KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Hello, Ikran. Hi, Margo. So we made it. Last episode of the season. If you haven't yet listened to the whole season, go ahead and do so. That's right, because uh, this episode, in a way, will build off of the stories from those other episodes. And, you know, because they are good. (laughs) Yes, that too. Okay, so I want to start with a short digression into the experiences of a woman I interviewed, Ina Messett-Williams. So, so far we've spoken with black graduate students still early in their careers or people with their doctorates who are still in science, whether as researchers or professors or lecturers. But Ina Messet is different. She left the world of science. And I think it's important to hear stories like hers. All right. Tell me about Ina Messet. Okay. So Ina Messet, she grew up in the Berkeley area and she was enthralled by nature from a young age. I still have this old article of me when I'm about, I don't know, four or five, six, and it's a newspaper where there's this group of kids with a, which are na- with a naturalist taking us on a hike. And I'm in this picture and you can see this wonder and fascination in my face. Eventually, she made her way to graduate school to study developmental biology, the only black student in her class. As the only black person, felt like not only am I representing myself, but I'm representing every other Black person that may want to come here one day. And so I kind of felt like, oh my God, I've I've got to do great. She had support from some, but not across the board. I'd say in my science department, I had a lot of good people behind me being there. But I also had, you know, a lot of experiences as the only Black person in the whole program that were hard. When I was in my classes with my cohort, there was many, many times when whatever I had to say was just dismissed. Why is my voice the voice that keeps being disregarded here? I was questioning, you know, my purpose in that program. I was questioning how people treating me. Is that going to be my whole life in science? And I just, you know, I, 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 I finally made a decision to leave. There were many factors that contributed to Ina Messet's decision to leave. A waning interest in her research project, um, an inkling that she might want to pursue a career elsewhere, but a lack of inclusion, representation, and a social and work environment with pervasive microaggressions was a big factor. And that's why I thought it was important to hear this story. Um, Ikran, what did you think when when listening to her story? I could see a lot of myself in her and her experiences. It was sadly very relatable. Ah, I'm sorry, Ikran. You know, one thing was clear from Ina Messet's story and, and the stories of the other scientists featured in the season, that academia has a long way to go to make the environment more welcoming and equitable for Black scientists. So there's this term 
leaky pipeline that's used as a metaphor for academia and how by the time you get to the end of the so-called pipe, many students, especially students of color, have left science and more specifically have moved away from the track of being a research professor. So we need to understand why some students, you know, quote unquote, leak and how the pipeline itself is at fault. Stay with us because... This is Rad Scientist. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Kenny Gibbs is a program director at the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, part of the NIH. But when he was still in graduate school studying immunology, Kenny realized there was a problem at his institution. When I was a PhD student at Stanford, uh, there were more black presidents of the United States than there were black tenured faculty members in the basic sciences. The president being Barack Obama at the time and the number of tenured black faculty, zero. And Stanford wasn't and isn't the only school with a lack of diversity at the professor level. Um, Only 4% of STEM professors are black. And that is despite black communities making up about 13% of the U.S. population. A ton of funding has been devoted over, you know, the past few decades to try to funnel more people into the pipeline and to patch up the holes. And there's a lot of academic arguments about why the lack of diversity is bad. You can do the kind of utilitarian argument. For instance, studies have shown that teams composed of diverse people innovate at higher rates than their homogenous counterparts. You can do, we need the workforce because scientific innovation and research quality, global competitiveness, how do we address health disparities, how do we have public trust? All of those are valid arguments, but they really miss the major point, which is that making sure that everyone has access to science is just the right thing to do. Everybody deserves opportunity, right? Kenny thought about this uh, a lot when he was doing his PhD at Stanford. While he wanted to focus on his science, it was hard to do that when thinking about the disparities at play in STEM. I came to what I call the uh, tyrosine-tyrone problem. And so for those who are scientists, you know, tyrosine is an amino acid, and it represented the technical knowledge that I was pursuing. And then tyrone represented the community from which I came, right, Uh, the black community. And I felt a conflict between my desires to be in science, and then what the path I saw ahead of me was. And so I thought, well, what can I do about it? Kenny was a scientist, so we figured, why not use the scientific method to understand the problem? How can we quantify these qualitative aspects of what's happening in science with the idea being that then we can use that to create positive change in the system? He started researching the problem, and he actually ended up in a position to oversee policy and funding interventions based on the findings of his research. But Kenny is not the only one studying these issues. 
So we'll get back to what he found and implemented later in the episode. But first, we want to look at the issues and challenges that arise throughout the higher education of Black students. What leads Black students to stay the course in their STEM fields, and ultimately how we can change academia in ways that make it more representative. We're going to be talking to a number of different researchers who have looked at this issue at different levels of the pipeline. And let's start at the college level. Dr. Micah Estrada is a social psychologist at UCSF who's done research on persistence of undergraduates in science, meaning how likely a student who enters college as a STEM major graduates with one. In that first year, the dropout rates from the STEM-related disciplines is much higher for historically underrepresented students than for majority students. Now, that term, historically underrepresented student, is an umbrella term that usually includes Native American, Latinx, and Black people. Many studies about persistence or retention in STEM lump these students together, But that's not to say that each minority group faces the same struggles during their scientific journeys. So that's a big caveat to keep in mind as we dig into Micah and other science. Okay, so Micah wanted to understand why some underrepresented students stay in their STEM majors and others don't. In the middle of her study, though, she flew to D.C. for a conference about the subject. Experts gave talks about a variety of topics, including kind of the hot subject of the time, which was this issue of self-efficacy, which is the idea that the person may or may not have confidence that they can do the science. And without self-efficacy, the theory was people would leave science. They were going on and on about this, and and, um, by the end of the second day, I was just kind of tired of hearing this. I'm Latina, and I knew that that wasn't why I left. So I kind of left the room and was standing outside and a crowd of maybe seven or eight other people that were there, and we were all minorities, and we had all left the room where they were describing and trying to figure out why we leave. So they all started chatting with each other, and none of them had taken the, you know, quote-unquote traditional route in academia and pursued tenure-track jobs, which effectively meant they all had left the pipeline. And we started talking about why did we leave? And in that conversation, it became really clear that none of us left because we felt like we couldn't do the science. We all felt we could do the science. We left because the social experience was exhausting. Like Gina Messet at the beginning of this episode, right? So Micah took that insight and, and modified her study design. She was already measuring efficacy, but she added new questions to her survey to measure scientific identity and values. And sure enough, when you do a simultaneous analysis of those of those variables, the big predictor was not efficacy. It was the sense of identity that I belong to this, this community of scientists and that the values were in alignment with my own values. What Micah and others have uncovered is that there's a big social component to persistence. You know, it doesn't take a scientific study to intuit that negative experiences brought on by racism, by microaggressions, are not going to make students feel like they belong to the scientific community. Of course, there are other factors that are important too. 
And that's why Micah, along with other scientists studying the issue, were invited to make recommendations to undergraduate institutions, things they could do to mitigate the large dropout rates of underrepresented minorities. They came up with five recommendations. Here they are. Recommendation one, track the demographics of your students in STEM majors. How representative are they of the general population? Which departments are doing best? Right now, this isn't happening everywhere. It's a problem because if you have a class, let's say somebody has an intro chemistry class and their retention rates are fantastic. African-Americans, Latinos, Native Americans, everybody loves that class and they stay in the sciences after. Clearly that class is doing something right. They could be a role model to the rest of the university on how to do it. And they don't even know it's happening. They don't even know. And same way they don't know the, the class that is totally losing everybody. On to recommendation number two. The second piece was to create strategic partnerships with programs that create lift. There are programs around the country that have already been shown to increase the likelihood of underrepresented students graduating with STEM degrees. Like the Meyerhoff program, which started 22 years ago at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Dr. Gentry Patrick from our last episode, he recently started a similar scholarship program and he, he partnered with the Meyerhoff to learn from their success. All of these programs that have shown success, they tend to have similar components like having cohort structures, having summer bridge classes, lots of focused mentorship, as well as paid research opportunities. Okay, so the third thing was to unleash the power of the curriculum. The way science is taught can lose the interest of certain students. When you have an intro to science class and there's no mention at all about how this is relevant to anything besides learning the language of science, you're going to lose the interest of a certain demographic. And Micah says that now is as good a time as any to reimagine what equitable curriculums could look like. We're in COVID right now. And that means a lot of the universities have gone online. And this is an amazing opportunity to update your curriculum in a way that is more inclusive and is using ways in which to engage students. And that brings us to the next recommendation. The fourth one was to address student resource disparities. So there's concrete elements of like, some students are working full time <laughs> in addition to going to school. This is a huge barrier for some. How are students who work a full-time job supposed to compete with students who have time to focus purely on their studies? Um, some programs, like Gentry's Pathways to STEM, provide that extra capital. And other schools make it possible to get work-study jobs, ensuring that students get paid for working in laboratories. And this approach can help not only by providing a job for the student, but also by providing research experience, which has been shown to increase persistence. And finally, there's step five, firing creative juices. How do we make science meaningful and joyful and creative? Part of this is covered in step three, curriculum development. But some of it requires things outside of the classroom. It can mean societies or clubs where students from similar backgrounds can express themselves through science and get support by sharing common experiences. There's one group of institutions that retains Black undergraduates in STEM better than anyone else, and that is historically Black colleges and universities, HBCUs. 
There haven't been major studies into the reason why they're so successful. So what we have to go off of is the testimonies of those who have attended HBCUs, who express a sense of belonging, wealth of representation, institutional support, and research opportunities. You may recall Chandler from an earlier episode who described her HBCU as, and I quote, one of the most magical places in the world. The next step in the professional science pipeline is graduate school. Hopeful applicants round up their references, write personal statements detailing their previous research experience, and take the graduate record examination, a standardized test. But the way graduate schools assess candidates may inherently decrease diversity. We don't have the tools, we don't cultivate the tools that allow us to recognize the talents and skills of students of color. Dr. Kimberly Griffin is dean and professor in the School of Education at the University of Maryland, where she studies diversity in STEM. And here's what she has to say about the graduate record examination, a.k.a. the GRE. There's a lot of research and data that suggests that it's not a very good predictor of success in graduate education, that there are persistent gaps in performance. So if we're going to rely on the GRE, it's going to automatically put students from marginalized and minoritized backgrounds at a disadvantage. The GRE, just like the SAT, correlates with socioeconomic status, race, and gender more so than ability. This revelation is sparking a movement to drop the test altogether, cleverly named Grexit. Also, Kimberly says, that an undue focus on prestigious institutions might disadvantage certain students. We often privilege and prefer students that come from institutions that we're familiar with, um, that have worked with scholars that we know and that are big names, that we aren't as likely to recognize the talents and the skill of a student who maybe went to a minority-serving institution. Basically, we need to come up with creative ways that actually predict graduate school success and that don't disadvantage Black scientists. And once in graduate school, there is more work to be done to foster their success. We do have some sense that underrepresented students are more likely to master out, so to leave early with their master's degrees or to not complete their degrees. In graduate school, the quality of mentorship can be especially important for underrepresented minorities. What's really important is that mentors are equity-minded in their mentorship and that they are able to recognize the importance of identity in the lives of their students and in their own lives. That they honor identity, that they invite it into the room rather than trying to engage students in a colorblind way. If a student wants to share that part of themselves, if they want to talk about how they experience science as a student of color, as a woman of color, that that mentor is open to hearing that. And finally, Kimberly stressed the importance of engendering a sense of belonging. Graduate school classes are small. A Black student may be the only one in their program. So she suggests setting up spaces where students can build connections with people from similar backgrounds. One of the things that makes it easier and, and better is to feel like you have connections with your classmates and with your colleagues. 
and acknowledging how that might be harder for African-American students to feel that sense of fit and connection with their classmates and their colleagues so that you have that sense of critical mass, that you have that sense of belonging. So now we've looked into the research and recommendations about how to retain more Black students at the undergraduate and graduate levels. But of course, that's not the end of a journey for a scientist. We're going to take a short break now, but when we come back, we're going to meet up again with Kenny Gibbs and chat about his research about where in the pipeline are the biggest leaks. Stay with us. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. When Kenny was going about starting his research about why there is such a, a lack of representation at the faculty level, he came across this narrative around the lack of black faculty that seemed really suspect to him. What you'll hear is, oh, we don't have any black faculty because there aren't any black PhDs. And I was like, no, that's not true. I got 100 in my Facebook, like literally, right? I was like, we know each other. It's not an issue of us whether or not we exist. So you're like, okay, how do we test this? First, Kenny had to find demographic data that spanned higher education into faculty, which can be really difficult to find. But it turns out there's one fairly comprehensive set of numbers specific to basic science departments at medical schools. And what we saw is that there was this almost, this is exponential increase in underrepresented PhD attainment from 1980 to 2013. That's a big accomplishment that reflects the large amount of money put into undergraduate and graduate focused programs. But did that increase in PhDs lead to a similar increase of professors? Sadly, no. There was no mathematical relationship between the number of underrepresented minority PhDs that graduated and the number of assistant professors in basic science departments. In fact, Kenny modeled what would happen if we ramp up the number of underrepresented PhD students even more. And this is what he found. You could flood the market with underrepresented PhDs. We could be 80% of the PhDs, and we would still be fewer than 10% of the faculty if we don't transition. And that's because there was a huge drop-off in the transition from postdoctoral fellows to professors. So his conclusion was twofold. I mean, one is that we needed to do something to help the postdocs transition into professorships. And then also that institutions need to hire more diverse candidates. And this is not a big ask, says Kenny. If just two-thirds of basic science departments hired and retained just one faculty member from an underrepresented background each year for six years, the system would have parity with the PhD pool in one tenure cycle. So I'm going to repeat that, right? All it takes is two-thirds of schools hiring and retaining one, just one person per year over six years. That's it. That's actually completely attainable. When trying to make meaningful change, though, Kenny knew that he could really focus on the postdoc level because of his position at the NIH. I had an idea that something needed to happen in this space, 
you know, how could I affect the most change most quickly? And money is policy. If you're able to attach meaningful priorities to dollars, that's a mechanism of, of driving positive change. So that's what Kenny is doing. He's trying to make change where he can by supporting diverse postdoctoral fellows that want to become professors through a program he helped create called Mosaic, which stands for Maximizing Opportunities for Scientific and Academic Independent Careers. I was very proud of the acronym. The program includes additional mentoring, a starter fund for when they get a faculty position, and networking opportunities. Let's create a new path for this person who we see has a lot of promise. This winter, the first cohort of scholars will get notice of their Mosaic Awards. While a program like Mosaic may encourage postdocs to stay the course and apply to faculty positions, as Kenny said before, these candidates need to be hired. Here's Dr. Kimberly Griffin again from the University of Maryland. Institutions can really make a serious and significant commitment to diversifying the academy, knowing that students are watching and that it's shaping their own aspirations of what they can be. We started out this episode talking about how the challenges of retaining underrepresented minorities in STEM is called the leaky pipeline. In some ways, the metaphor may have helped drive research and policy to address the concern, but in other ways, it might hinder efforts to make STEM equitable. Because it's a bad metaphor for describing what's actually happening to the real people who are experiencing pressure to leave academia. I'm not a liquid experiencing laminar flow. I'm a human. That's Kenny again. And I think importantly, it, it, it limits our ability to think about creative solutions, right? The only way you get more things out the end of a pipe is by sticking more things into the beginning of the pipe. As a biologist, Kenny says that he sees the system itself as exerting selective pressure, basically pushing out people based on their identities. And so we need to stop talking about a pipeline um, and really start talking about an ecosystem and how do we make sure we're supporting folks from all backgrounds. Most importantly, it isn't just about achieving greater diversity in professors. It isn't a numbers game. It's about making sure that wherever Black scientists end up, that they're in an environment conducive to success, one in which they receive resources and respect. And that will take a systems-level adjustment, a profound shift that's happening in the way that we're thinking about the problem, which makes Micah Estrada of UCSF hopeful. I think that the conversation has shifted from how do we fix the students to how do we fix the institutions? And to me, that is really an important shift for all people to feel like this is where I belong. This is where, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm back with Ikran. We just threw a lot of information at you listeners. Um, but I thought we could go over some main takeaways. Mm, yeah, it, that, that was a lot. Um, well, first off, one of the first takeaways is it's apparent that there are a lot of changes that need to be made to make the ecosystem of science better for all. Yes, yes. 
changes at different levels of education, changes in academic culture, um, changes in what is valued most in scientific spaces, changes in how we teach and how we mentor. We have to go at the problem from many angles. And actually, I was thinking about it. Um, you know, there are changes that every single one of our guests on this season have been contributing to in some way or other. Like Melanie, who has pushed for changes in her graduate program. Uh, Chandler, who created a Black in STEM class that she taught this fall. And Gentry, who created a scholarship program. Mm-hmm. But I should mention that often the burden falls on those who are marginalized to make those changes. So it is on allies to step up and help where needed, you know, help with some of the load. Yes, yes. Um, so if you aren't Black, like me, you might be wondering, like, what you can do to help make academia more representative and inclusive as an ally. So um, here are just a few suggestions. If you're just a lover of science, uh, support black science communicators. If you're an undergraduate majoring in science or maybe you've made it to graduate school, um, you can participate in mentoring programs for underrepresented high schoolers or undergraduates. Um, Support your black classmates. Challenge your program's commitments to diversity and hold them accountable when they promise action. If you're a professor, foster an inclusive environment in your classrooms. Um, Think hard about your teaching style and who it serves. Mentor black students. Collaborate with black colleagues. Um, Refuse to speak on mantles, uh, white mantles or panels with a lack of diversity. And hire more black professors people with access to purse strings. You can fund diversity programs with a proven track record, and you can require institutions who receive your money to report demographic information along with climate reports. Okay, I will get off of my soapbox now. Ikran, if you could leave a message for our listeners, what would it be? Fear complacency. Challenge yourself from the person you were yesterday, hours ago, seconds ago, shoot, even milliseconds ago, keep on challenging yourself and educate yourself on issues that may not directly impact you because there are folks out there who are being impacted. So it is worth knowing and understanding to the best of your capacity as a means of just trying to make things a lot more equitable. Thanks so much for your input and for all of your help on the season. And also um, thanks to you, listener, for taking the time to absorb this information and listen to these stories. And finally, a huge thank you to all of the scientists that shared their time and their stories. Okay, Akron, we have one more thing to do before we sign off. It's time for one final vocab lesson. So here it is. Here's a word you need to know today with Ikran Ibrahim. The word you need to know today is intersectionality. This is a term coined by scholar and activist Kimberly Crenshaw to describe the overlapping and interconnected nature of someone's identity. Whether these identities are political or social, they have the ability to come together and intersect to create different forms of privilege and different forms of discrimination as well. For example, I am a black Muslimah, which means I am black, I am Muslim, And I am a woman. I intersect at the point where all three of these identities meet. It's very unique and very me. The reason I chose this word is because we didn't go into the unique challenges that different 
intersections like Black LGBTQ folks might face in STEM, and this is worth a nod. Thanks a million, Ekron. Thanks for having me, Margot. So I have a favor to ask you all. If you liked this episode, this season, or seasons past, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out with finding new people to listen to the show. Rad Scientist is produced and written by me, Margot Wall. The assistant producer is Ikran Ibrahim, and Elisa Barba is the editor. Our theme guitar riff is by Grant Fisher, logo by Kyle Fisher, no relation. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director, Kinsey Moreland is podcast coordinator, Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is director of programming. Additional editorial assistance from Ariana Remmel. A really big thank you to Dr. Marcus Lambert and Dr. Boss Hofstra, whose research was discussed in the episode, but whose interviews uh, didn't make it in. This show is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund. Until we meet again, stay rad. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.